Welcome to the Rainbows and Rain podcast for early interventionists. My name is Erica and this is my podcast where I reflect on real life visits in hopes to grow in my own practice as an early interventionist. I hope this podcast helps you connect and reflect on your own visits and interactions with families. In this episode, I want to reflect on a topic in early intervention, not so much a visit, but it definitely has everything to do with our visits. And it's breaking free from the bag. So I know in early intervention, um, we've come a long way. And there's, I want to say in the last 10-ish years, there's been this shift to a more of a coaching model, a family-centered model, uh, routines-based model. However, we still, you know, early intervention has been around a lot longer than the last 10-ish years. Um, so we, you know, practices today look different than, than they did 10, 15, 20-ish years ago. And this just isn't true for early intervention, but any professional practice out there, whether it's um, another area of education, medicine, law, whatever it is, things are always evolving and always changing. So being in early intervention, especially over the last 10-ish years, um, I've heard this term bagless intervention. I really don't like that word bagless intervention. So um information or intervention doesn't come from a bag. It, it really doesn't. It comes from what you do. So I just really want to talk about breaking free from the bag. And my experience and this, you know, um, this is where I came from too. It was the easiest to do when I first came into early intervention. It's what I knew how to do was to bring out my materials and you know, do my thing with my student and talk to parents about development and what their kids needed to be doing or what they, what they should, um, should be doing or could be doing, or, you know, to, to just enhance and further their child's development. Um, as I reflect on my practice and how it's evolved and even my discussions with, um, other providers in early intervention, what I feel like the bag symbolizes, it's not about the bag because we all know each one of you don't need that bag. You could be given any number of materials and you would know many strategies and many ways to use those materials with all different kinds of students with disabilities and delays. So it's not about the bag. It's not about what's in the bag. It's about the control. You know what's going to come out of the bag. So that's what I really feel the bag represents is control. And when you walk into a home visit and you don't have that control, it feels really uncomfortable. And that feeling of being uncomfortable, I'm going to address a little bit later in the episode. But right now, I just want to talk about the things in the bag. So the objects and things in the bag. So think about these kinds of questions. Why are you bringing these things? 
Is it because the home doesn't have these things? Is it because you want to observe a specific skill and you're not sure that they have these things or that you might be able to observe that skill if you don't have these things? So I just want you to kind of think about that for a moment. And then think about the home, think about a home visit and what does that home not have that you need? And again, why do you need it? So a lot of times we walk into homes, there are already toys. There are already things in the home that parents and children are using. And it might not be a lot. It might not be um, exactly what you prefer, it, you know, that, you know, things like that. But there are things in the home. Today's research tells us that infants and toddlers learn best when they use familiar toys and objects in their own routines every day. So that's, um, that's today's research. So we know that. So again, I just go back to this question. Why are you bringing that item in the bag? Is it because you, they don't have something in the home and you really need to see something? So for example, uh, let's say you're not sure if they have blocks and you really want to know if they can stack blocks and, and use their hands to stack blocks. Well, are you really going to get an accurate picture of if they can do that, if they're using blocks that they've never maybe used before, um, or maybe they've never even played with blocks before. So think about like, why are you bringing what you're bringing and what purpose does it serve? And is there another way that you can look at that skill you're trying to look at? So if it's hands, using their hands in play, what, you know, how could you address that with what they're already using in the home? And part of this is going to require just some rapport building and just almost like an, you know, an interviewer inventory of like, tell me about what your child plays with, or can you show me the toys your child plays with and, and things like that. Can you show me how you've seen them use their hands? So it's, it's going to take some planning and that's where I want to get to a little bit later in the episode. That comfort is, is going to ease that uncomfortable feeling of giving up control is going to ease with the planning part that comes with the visit, the joint planning and the next visit planning. That's where your comfort is going to ease uh, or your uncomfort your comfort level anyways, you know what I'm trying to say, um, is you're going to feel more comfortable. That's what I'm trying to say. You're going to feel more comfortable when you start um, planning with the family. I had to take a break for a second. Um, I'm still working on audio quality in on the podcast and my golden retriever busted into my very high tech uh, bathroom slash podcast studio. So quick story. I was working with a little boy about 26 months old, um, mom, and mom also had a 10-month-old infant son. So she was a busy mom, and one thing she was working on with her son and the student that I had was the 26-month-old was just increasing his attention and engagement with her 
as along with a combination of other things like language and things like that. He really kind of bounced from thing to thing to thing. He definitely was a sensory seeker as far as like climbing and moving and doing things like this. Um, so one thing I definitely tuned into during a visit was just trying to implement some sensory strategies with this little guy, especially if we want to increase his attention to us um, and just get him to kind of focus and engage. Mom had um, participated in some early childhood classes and I asked her, hey, did he gravitate towards like the sensory bin or any sensory activities you saw in the room. And she went on to explain, oh yeah, he loved the sensory bin. One time it had, you know, beans in it or, you know, sand in it. And he, he stayed with that for a pretty long time. So I asked her, is that something you might be interested in trying here at home? If you are, I could totally bring one out to try and and we could kind of talk through some strategies um, with that on how to use it. And she kind of sat for a minute and thought, and then she said, I guess I just don't really see the point in it other than the like pouring and dumping and using his hands and things like that. And now that I look back on that, interaction with that mom, I think about what if I just would have brought it and not even discussed with her first. That totally would have been going on in her head the entire time. Like, what is the point of this? Why is she bringing this out? So you are going to bring things out to the home. However, they are going to be planned ahead of time and discussed with the family. And the things you are going to bring out might be things that they don't have access to or they haven't tried yet. Uh, Along with assistive technology, you are going to use those things and bring those out. So it's just going to be a conscious effort. Um, it's, you know, you're going to pause before you bring that item out and think to yourself, is this something, um, that I need as the early interventionist? Like, this is what I'm going to do on my visit today with so-and-so, or are you bringing the item out because it's something you've discussed with the family? You want to trial, you want to try and, um, like for my example, it was like trying to increase attention and kind of work on some other sensory things, some sensory seeking behaviors. So fast forward a couple visits with this mom and this little boy. I knew that she just needed more information and more knowledge in what sensory is and sensory processing and um and sensory seeking behaviors and things like that. So I spent the next two visits kind of really coaching and helping her see um, what he's seeking out, when he's seeking it out, and things like that. I then asked, um, would you be okay if we tried Play-Doh with him? So again, just trying to, you know, kind of, I don't want to say sneak in, but just get her to buy in to trying something new uh, to meet his needs. And 
Uh, I told her if she was open to it, you know, um, I actually make my own Play-Doh. So, and I will often make it for families if they want it. So I said, is it okay if I bring out a batch and we, we try some things? And she said, yes. Fast forward now to the Play-Doh visit. Uh, the Play-Doh visit went beautifully. Uh, he sat for us. He sat at the table. Um, that was another thing she was working on, getting him to just sit at the table for mealtime. So I we talked about how we sh- should maybe just work on sitting at the table any time of the day, just adding practice in. Uh, if we want that routine to be successful, just sitting at the table for mealtime. Um, let's, let's practice just sitting at the table and what we can do with that. So Play-Doh went great. Um, we worked on a lot of language. He was really, really calm. He stuck with it for a very long time. I want to say 30 minutes. I can't remember. Um, and mom was just amazed. And I said, when would you most likely take out the Play-Doh? And she said, when I need to get something done. And I said, yeah, that would be a great time to take out the Play-Doh um, when you can't be with him and be right there with him. Uh, so, but you can still maybe be next to him or when you do get a chance to kind of sit down with him, you can work on these things. So it, it went really well. And I actually got a text from her like two days later. Thank you so much for bringing out that Play-Doh. So that was just a really simple example of um, family hadn't tried this, uh, family didn't have access to it, and uh, you need to build that knowledge and that knowledge base and then provide that tool. In this instance, it was the the Play-Doh, and then it got left there. So the Play-Doh stayed there and stayed with him. Always remember, though, that... Intervention does not come out of a bag. It comes from you and explore what is already in the home that the child and family are already using. Explore that first um, before being tempted to, to start bringing things out. The next thing I want to reflect on is where you position yourself in the home. So for example, typically when you have that toy bag, your your position is the floor, is on the floor with the bag uh, and the child. And that really sends the message, I'm here for him or her, um, when really you're there for the family. So the first thing I always do, and I don't really know when this started, um, but uh I started doing this years and years and years ago um, where I did not, I made a conscious effort not to go to the floor. I went to where the caregiver was. So if mom was in the kitchen, I went to the kitchen. Even if the child was in the living room, I went to mom in the kitchen. Um, If mom was sitting at the table uh, or parents were sitting at the table, then I sat at the table too. If they led me to the living room where the child was on the floor or exploring uh, the playroom, I sat on the couch because instinctively that's where the parents are going to sit. That's where they typically sit. So position yourself, uh, where you position yourself is really important because it sends a message. 
So when you go directly to the floor, it sends the message, I'm here for the child and it's my time with the child. When you position yourself parallel with the parent, it sends a message like, hey, I'm here to support you and help you too. So I kind of, I don't have the greatest uh, analogy for this, but um, I have two kids. And when my parents come over to see me or see the kids or see both of us, uh, they come in and if they go straight to the kids and where they're at, um, I know that they're here for for the kids or they're here for their playtime, right? But if they head to where I'm at, I know that they're here to kind of check in with me first and talk with me and maybe have some grown-up talk first before they before they play with the kids. So that might not be the greatest analogy, but um, it, it sends the same message. So where you position yourself um, really matters. And I do that at the very beginning of the visit. So my position might change throughout the visit. It indefinitely will. Um, but at the very beginning, that's where I'm at. I want to go back now to what I started talking about at the beginning of the podcast was that uncomfortable feeling, that fear of what am I going to do if I don't bring my bag, if I don't have my stuff? Uh, Well, it's going to involve some planning and that's where the key is to all of this is that joint plan. So plan what's going to happen on the visit. Uh, And you can do this at the IFSP meeting for the first visit. um, Or you can kind of establish rapport on that, focus on establishing rapport on that first visit and kind of exploring um, the home and what they have access to. But um, it's going to take some very conscious planning. And, and then what happens during the visit is the practice So what you practice, what you've planned for, you strategize, you problem solve, you talk, you know, talk things through, um, you try different things. So depending on what the priorities are for the family and what the child is working on, uh, it's, it's going to change, but it's going to take some definite planning. So, Uh, That's what replaces the bag is that joint plan and then the next visit plan. So I always, for me, the next visit plan, I always like to leave a little loose because uh, plans change, to be honest. And you got to stay flexible and kind of go with the flow. So also that joint plan might have totally flopped in the middle of the week and mom had to rework it or mom or dad maybe gave up on it. Um, and you're just gonna have to go back to the drawing board and kind of, and reflect on what went wrong with that joint plan and then put a new plan in place. Remember the five characteristics of coaching in early intervention is joint planning, observation, action practice, reflection, and feedback. So, uh, those are the five components you'll carry with you in your now imaginary bag. If you have heard of coaching in early intervention, you're familiar with it, um, then you're inevitably familiar with Russian Sheldon's research. There's a ton of information out there right now. 
um, YouTube videos on the web of coaching videos, uh, webinars, uh, lots, just lots of resources for you to grow in your early intervention practice. Um, shout out to another book, which is Pause and Reflect by Dana Childress. Another really good tool if you're looking to to grow in this practice as well. Um, and if you ever find yourself tempted to go back to the bag or to just, you got to bring that puzzle out or you got to bring this book out because you got to have something to do, um, really resist that urge and just re- stop and reflect and think about the why first. And um, try and embrace that struggle because that's uh, ultimately where that growth is going to happen. I know I had to do it and I'm still doing it every day on every visit, uh, trying to be better and do better for sure. Um, it's not a perfect process and we're not perfect people, but next week always brings us the opportunity to to try again. I want to end with just some final uh, feelings I had um, or I've had since uh, letting go and retiring that bag. And uh, I don't need to have all the answers. My answers aren't going to come in a bag. So when I let go of that, it really took a ton of pressure off myself that I'm this magician that's going to come in and and help and help and fix. I'm going to fix everything. So I loved letting go of that pressure and that feeling of needing to perform, um, of needing to come up with something new every week, of just, you know, and then the awful, like, oh, what do you do and what you bring totally bombs. So uh, once you let that go, you make room for so much more. Um, and it feels really, really good. So I encourage everyone to kind of um, think about that and reflect on their own feelings about that. And shout out to, I was talking to a coworker today, Brittany, and she's a speech therapist where I work. And she said, uh, I haven't brought anything out since we got back in person from the pandemic, which was, um, you know, September. Uh, this fall. So I thought that was great and amazing. So way to go, Brittany. Super proud of you uh, and proud of everyone who's just trying to grow um, and be, and do better and be better. So if you have any thoughts, feelings, opinions, um, you disagree with anything, because uh, I am well aware this is a hot topic um, or, you know, there's some strong, passionate feelings about, about some of the things I talked about on the pod- podcast today, please send them to me. My email is erikabo80 at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I hope you tune in to another episode of Rainbows and Rain.